Hello and welcome to Obehi Podcast. I'm your host, Obehi Ewan And I strongly believe that everyone has a story to share. Now let's get started with this episode. In this uh, podcast, we talk about everything African, from our education to history to all the good things that have to do with Africa. This evening, we are going to be looking at uh, an issue that I consider very important. Of course, we have talked about it before, which has to do with education. Uh, some of those questions I'm going to be bringing out to our, our important guest is, what is civil uh, solution-based education as related to the topic that we are treating this evening? How do you encourage problem service skills among school children? And how must we define the kind of problem to solve? Because it is very important that when we, uh, dis- when we decide to solve a problem, that that problem is not just the one that is designed by another person, because that is, uh, I think within the politics, what they call problem-solution strategy. If that somebody designed a problem and it give it to you to be, to be solving, uh, but of course, it's just making you to work uh, uh, because you have a certain objective. But if you are the one that defines the kind of problem you want to solve now, then that is a different ball game altogether. So within the educational system, if our education is based on problem solving, meaning we have identified the problem we want to solve, so we educate the people to have uh, the possibility to solve this problem, then at the end of the day, of course, they become free because they can then solve their problem, which in this case, the African problem. So I'm honored to talk with Mr. Kennedy, who is joining us from South Africa. He has been here in this uh, in this podcast before. So I want to thank you, sir, for joining us uh, this evening. For people who are probably seeing you for the first time, even though you'll be here uh, more than once, would you want to say a word or two about you, sir? Uh, thank you so much, and good evening to, to your viewers and listeners as well. Um, my name is Kennedy Mape Samandaza. Uh, I'm a Zimbabwean. Uh, who is currently resident in South Africa as an educationist. Um, I'm also a politician. I fancy the the African politics, um, the dynamics that uh, play out in the in Africa with regards to to, to politics, uh, particularly as it focuses to us being masters of our own destiny and uh, being creators of uh, what we want our Africa to be. And uh, that is why we find it pertinent to discuss issues that are critical to the growth and development of Africa, uh, which should be uh, led by Africans, uh, be it those that are in Africa, on the African continent, and those that are in the diaspora. Because all of us, we play a critical role in as far as Africa is concerned, in order for us to play a catch-up game in terms of development, because uh, for a very long period of time, Africa has played subservient uh, to other countries. And they, regrettably, the majority of the people that have seen Africa develop to the level, uh, that have seen other countries develop to the levels that they are today, are Africans who have been working in these uh, economies that today are uh, um, renowned for 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 their economic development all right thank you very much sir for that uh, in fact i wanted to ask you before anyway it's good that you give us a good background on that area i wanted to ask you how is civil south africa this morning uh, sorry this evening we are we're already in the evening <laughs> um so tell us give us a little feel of uh, what is what is going on in south africa today well uh, south africa is in a great position 
uh, with the uh, the problem of the COVID-19 pandemic uh, continues to rage on. However, um, uh, we are excited by the news that have been released by the Minister of Health. We're saying that uh, we are uh, going out of the third wave, and that's good news because it unlocks uh, opportunities that have been closed as a result of the uh, of the pandemic due to the COVID regulations, which restricted movement and operations of a number of things. And um, well, also South Africa is gearing up for the local government elections, so um, the campaigning is uh, kick-starting and uh, people, uh, politicians will be crisscrossing the country trying to win the hearts of the people. So we are going through exciting times in South Africa at the moment. Okay, that is interesting. But but I, I hope it's calm, no? Because we want to hear that, you know, here sometimes even uh, in politics, if we, if we don't agree, we also need to, to be peaceful, no? We need to sometimes agree to disagree and disagree to agree. At the end of the day, even though we are a sort of political opponent, it should be played in a way that uh, it is peaceful so that because all of us, we are working for the same people, for the same interest. That is the level that we are actually uh, wanting in every part of African politics, in that it should not be really brutal. Anyway, I'm just throwing that one in uh, since you made mention of politics. And also, another thing I would like to uh, ask you, since we are still there, because that is the last thing I'm going to ask you before we move to the topic of today. So when you say you are a politician, can you like expatiate on that a little bit? Um, when I say I'm a politician, um, uh, it is very true and real. I support the leading political party in, uh, in Zimbabwe. And uh, I happen to be the Secretary for Information and Publicity in uh, South Africa. I'm the spokesman of, uh, for ZANU-PF um, here in South Africa. And um, all what we seek to do is to advance the cause of the Black majority that are resident, uh, who are the, the, the residents or the owners of, of Zimbabwe. And we believe that um, uh, we need almost everyone to play a part we may differ in, um, in our ideologies, but um, that difference does not really mean that uh, we have become enemies. We all have a role that we are supposed to play and we should not begrudge anyone for going into opposition politics. And that is the kind of politics that we are playing at the moment uh, with the hope that uh, with our different views and uh, our different approaches, we will work together because we have one Zimbabwe and that Zimbabwe owes it to, to each and every one of us to make sure that it becomes a better country for all Zimbabweans and all those that would want to visit Zimbabwe at any given time. Thank you very much for that, sir. I appreciate that. All right, the argument of today is about problem uh, solution-based education. And since you have been in, a, in the educational sector for a very long time, uh, I think I'm going to be rely on you uh, to even give a definition to the theme of our, of our topic today. Uh, when we say uh, a solution problem education or a solution-based learning, can you like explain that? What does it even mean? Let's start from there. Um, thank you so much for bringing this topic on um on education. And uh, in this case, we are talking about solution-based learning. And uh, I will also bring in another concept, I think, which is the problem-based uh, learning. And look at um, 
they are the differences that exist between the two of them. And possibly uh, we may zero in to one of the uh, um, uh, methods that we are talking about. Solution-based learning is a very new concept that has come on board. And this is where it is a learning method that encourages learners to learn from proven solutions that have been given by experts. And what the solution-based learning seeks to do is that it exposes learners to solutions that are already existing. And the learning process, therefore, calls for the learners to examine the solution that have been given by, by the experts, analyze it, critique it, and look at the pros and cons of these solutions that have been proffered by, by experts. And when they have done that, they will then look at, a at looking at a possibility or possibilities whether this particular uh, solution can be used in solving uh, problems that are in the uh, domain that they will be looking at at that particular time. In this case, when we look at it in the African context, it should therefore look at the problems, the real, the complex, the real world problems that we are facing uh, each and every day. We should therefore look at the solutions, the pros and cons, and tailor them to suit the circumstances and environment in which we find ourselves. Because the problems that we face, whether the solutions have been proffered by experts, those solutions might have come as a result of the circumstances, experiences, and in the environment in which these experts live. Therefore, it is the responsibility of the learners to look at this and critique and analyze them in a participatory manner in, in, uh, in a group dynamic. It is not an individual thing, an individual uh, pursuit to come up with a, a conclusion on whether this is the right uh, solution that we must have for our uh, problem. Furthermore, solution-based um, uh, learning is child-centered. It focuses on the child because the child becomes the center, is in the center of what is happening in the class. So the, the method itself, itself encourages participation from the learner and it increases overall understanding by the learner because from the solution, from critiquing the solution, looking at how the expert came about with that particular solution and why he provided that solution, the learner will be in a position to grasp um, solutions that might be used in our African context or in any particular subject that they might be looking at. On the other hand, we have problem-based learning or project-based learning. Project-based learning, this is when now we have teaching and learning method in which complex real problems are used as a vehicle to promote learning of concepts and principles. This is when the children now are given a problem or they identify a problem 
in their country, in their environment. And then looking at that particular problem, they will then identify methods that might be needed to uh, solve that particular problem. So with problem-based learning, learners are given or they identify a, a real life problem. And this promotes the development of critical thinking amongst the learners. It promotes problem solving um, uh, skills as well as communication skills, because there will be a lot of brainstorming amongst the learners in order for them to come up to a conclusion, which they will then give out to the, the, to the teacher or the facilitator in this case, because we are trying to move away from the traditional method of teaching, where the teacher is supposed to give the information. After giving the information of what he thinks children needs to know, the children are supposed to memorize it. And after memorizing, they will then be given a problem to demonstrate or illustrate their understanding, which is not the case in solution-based learning as well as problem learning, uh, uh, problem-based learning. Thank you very much for that. Okay, as you were explaining, I was just uh, like uh, making a kind of reflection on in that uh, um, I will give two scenarios, then I will tell you to help me. Uh, so that we see which one actually is going to be working. I, I don't think any of them is, is going to be thrown away, but maybe that is one that we might adapt to. I don't know. Or maybe we can choose both of them. Now, uh, I am from Nigeria, and I know that uh, since um, actually before the but let's take a, a, a period that is uh, more workable. Since 1999, when Nigeria returned to democracy, uh, the Nigerian people have been complaining of one particular thing to their government, which is light. Up until this moment, the government of Nigeria have not been able to provide light to the Nigerian people. And I think that with all the universities in Nigeria, with all the higher institutions in Nigeria, somebody should have been thinking, if this is a problem, what should be the solution? So that we, we should be researching, finding way in, in every way possible, studying book, going out, coming in, I don't know, doing everything it is to study how we can provide light, uh, provide light to the Nigerian people. Now, another scenario is uh, the speech of uh, President J.F. Kennedy, I think that was 1962, if I'm not mistaken, when he told the American people that he had a, a vision of taking a man to the moon and bringing him back. Of course, this was a mission he gave to the NASA. And of course, they succeeded after a lot of sacrifices. If we were to use this scenario, will it fall into a solution-based problem or a problem-based solution? Anyway, it help us to understand that so that we can have a contest. Right. Um, when we have a solution, a solution-based learning, a solution is tabled, it is given. A solution that has been provided or something that has been proven as a solution by experts. And this is what now the learners should look at and critique that, solu the, that solution that has been given. And also look at the pros and cons, look at 
how the solution was uh, came about and also look at why that was given as a solution. On the other hand, Nigeria has a problem with lighting. That is a problem that has been identified. And we are putting it in the context of Nigeria where people should then identify the challenges that are brought about by the inability of the government or by the lack of resources or investment in, in, in that particular area. So in problem solving, in pro problem-based learning, the learners are required to identify and pitch ideas and creating their own business models, which they then identify ways and means of solving them. So it should be the responsibility of us as educators to encourage children to identify problems that address societal needs, of which in this case, in the case of Nigeria, it would be lighting. So how then can we solve the issue of lighting? That should be the problem that we give to our learners. Through brainstorming, our learners should therefore be able to come up with methods and ways in which we can solve that societal need, which has arisen as a result of the failure by the government or by those who are supposed to provide light. But there are many of these societal problems that our children need to look at. That's why problem best looks at complex real world solutions, real world um, problems that needs us all as a collective to look at. The good thing about problem solving is the fact that it brings out the intrinsic motivation within the learners, because the learners will then begin to look at or to own what they are doing from the conception of the idea until the, compl the completion with the teacher playing a, facil a facilitatory role. He will be facilitating throughout, making sure that the input is coming out from the children, stage by stage, assisting them there and time and again to come up to make sure that they remain focused on the objective of the problem. So I would take really the issue of uh, the lighting as uh, in Nigeria as a problem-based learning which should be used in order to address that challenge. Thank you so much, sir. That is so powerful. I really love that. Although this is the first time actually um, looking in, looking at it from that angle, which is a problem uh, uh, problem learning solution, problem-based learning. I think it's really very powerful also as a way because if you were to look at even the case of J.F. Kennedy telling the American people to go to the moon, he have identified the problem. Now, let's study the best way to go about it. And I think um, as African, the way I want to put the next question to you now is, uh, how do we identify the problem that we should solve? Because if we now 
use that one as a as a kind of uh, a tactics now as a strategy it means that we should already identify the problem that we we have or we should the real problem that are available that are that we are that we are dealing with on a daily basis and then give it to people who are studying so study it and then profess solution to it so which are these problems and how should we identify these problems let me start by saying that the challenge that we have in the um, in the education systems that are on the African continent, it is because the majority of the curricula that we are used is borrowed from the Western or the developed countries. So we are not using the curricula that seeks to address the challenges that we have on the African continent. And until such time, we bring, we, we design curriculum that is seeking to address the challenges that we have here on the African country, it, uh, on the African continent, it will remain uh, uh, a dream for us to look at problem-based, even solution-based learning, because the solutions that we seek to look at and critique are solutions that have been given mostly by people that have been educated through the English system, for example, or that they have looked upon to Harvard, looked upon to Cambridge, looked upon to all these universities in the Western world. And most of the people from whom we then try to look at the solutions and critique them, they are solutions that have been tailor-made for circumstances and experiences that are in the Western world. So it is important that we on the African continent we need to challenge our governments as well as our universities to seriously look at the developing curricula that meets the expectations, the challenges, and the experiences of us who are on the African continent so that our thinking is informed by the experiences that we have on the African con uh, continent. Because when we look at how, when we look at the principles, that are significant in teaching and learning. We know that knowledge is constructed from the experience of the learner. What are the experiences of the learner? These experiences, the day-to-day -day experiences of the learner, if they are tapped into, then we would breed a well-educated and informed learner. We also know that learning is an active process of meaning, meaning, of making meaning of those experiences. So if we are not using a curricula that is designed to meet the challenges of our economies, then any other problem that we have will not be addressed because what we are looking at are problems that are proffered by some other people or informed by circumstances and environments that are not anywhere near to Africa. We can look um, in the context of the COVID vaccine. We are yet to hear of the African people having developed their own COVID-19 vaccine, yet we have so many people on the African continent that are suffering as, uh, from COVID. Why is it that we have had to wait for people from the Western world to develop a vaccine or even if we are trying to think of solving or coming up with our solutions 
we seek the Western world to validate our own thinking, our own way of trying to address our problem. That, I think, is critical for us to move away from. Now, coming to the question that you, you have asked me, what will then inform, we have a lot of these problems on the African continent. What we need, like I've already said, we need to come up with a curriculum that is informed by the experiences on the African continent, that is informed by the environment on the African continent and the needs of the people on the African continent. Even as we speak about the fourth industrial revolution, we needed to look at how best it is applicable in the African con context. And any other problem, the real world problems, when we are looking at the real world problems, we are contextualizing to the problems that we seek to address on the African continent. It is our responsibility. Therefore, our syllabus in science, the maths, mathematics syllabus, the technology syllabus, should, and any other syllabus should look at addressing the issues and the problems that we have. And this will then enable our learners to identify problems in their communities. And when they've identified the problems in their communities, everything else that they will be doing, it is out of the interest to make sure that their communities become a better place. So even when we identify problems that are in Africa, when we begin to look at solutions for those problems, we are doing so because we want Africa to be a better place to be in. So we need first and for all to make sure that we have a relevant and the curriculum that seeks to address the problems that we have on the, uh, on the African continent. The education that we are giving our children should look at addressing issues that are happening or that are on the African continent. Hence, any problem is, will then be intrinsical, it will be from the intrinsic motivation, will be spared by the desire to make Africa or our communities a better place to be. Thank you for that. All right, now, um, I'm thinking that with all your explanation and with all the ability that is available in Africa, with all the university, I know that, I know we are going to come to the question of funding for our education. That is a later question that I'm coming to. Uh, we, at least even with the way it currently stands, we can't say we don't have any ability, any possibility of coming up with a solution to a realistic problem. Now, say, let's look at the case of Nigeria as an example, the case of light uh, um, that is not available in Nigeria. Say every person in this world have died. All the people in Europe, in America have died. The only people that are remaining are Nigerians and in Nigeria. We thought the know-how in Nigeria. Does it mean that the Nigerian university, the institutions, with all the people, with all the things that we know up until this point in the human evolution, we will not be able to generate electricity in Nigeria. If we transfer that to other cases, where we, where we really should be able to have come up with a solution, 
But those solutions are not there. People go to school, they spend years and years in school, and they come out, I'm a graduate, and I'm this and that, I'm still looking for a job. Is it that we are trying to obey somebody somewhere to follow a kind of a program, or we are just incapable of designing a program? Because if that is what it is, then we need to invite the colonial, uh, uh, so people in Europe, to come and train us again. Because we really should be able to know what we want and how to get it. That is what many people do. When COVID-19 happened, America will not say, okay, let's fold our hand and see what kind of help Germany will send to us. No. Even Germany will not say that. Now, I'm yes. trying to understand, why are we hanging there? Why are we not bold enough to decide this is the number of um, this is the number of people I want in my armed forces. I need this certain amount of money to be spent in my military to defend me. In this place, I want to be able to uh, produce food to feed <clears throat> my country, and I want to go in this direction. Why are we not able to take those bold decisions? It, it, um, it's not a question of us taking those bold decisions. We must go back and answer the question, what was education used for on the African continent? Education was not used to empower us to have the kind of thinking that we require today to turn around the fortunes of the people on the African continent. The education that we were given for many years was meant to make sure that we remain yours and yours of wood and drawers of water. That was the purpose of the education, so that we do not think out of the box. We were meant to make sure that we become employees, not employers. We were trained not to create employment, but to seek employment. Therefore, there is need now for a paradigm shift. Now that the majority, if not all countries on the African continent are independent, our governments should now take a deliberate move to make sure that they revolutionize the education system so that it can meet our expectations. We need to come up with a new breed of a graduate who did not go through the same kind of education that many of us went through, where we, were, where we valued white collar job, instead of looking at going to create certain things. So this is the main problem that we needed to address. Africa, even before the coming in of the colonialists on the continent of Africa, there was a lot of technology that was coming that was on, on Africa. There was smelting that was taking place in uh, on, on the African continent. When we look at the Great Zimbabwe ruins and other ruins elsewhere, the Great Zimbabwe monuments, the Kami monuments, and many others, the pyramids, that in itself should tell you the kind of knowledge that the African person has. Even then, before the coming of the wise we were able to make fire without the matchstick. So what should by now, having seen and learned 
Well, from the economies that are developed, that should give us now a greater leverage to come up with our own ways of coming up with light, generating electricity. We should also be able to come up with our own models of cars. We should also be able to come up with our own type of things that we want on the African continent using and borrowing part of the technology that we have learned from those that had enslaved us or that had colonized us. So we have the capacity. What we need to do is to have governments pushing for a deliberate or deliberate policies that seeks to address the issue of the curriculum. As long as the curriculum remains informed and tailored in a manner in which it was pre or pre-independence, then we have a challenge because that education was there to create employees or workers. That's why you found that many of us were happy to be called a, a, to, 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 to work in houses as garden boys when yet we were men. It is because for us, it was the right thing. But time is now. For Africa and the universities that we have on the African continent, whom I think have great capacity with the many power that we have there to come up with uh, technologies that will address all the challenges that we have on the African countries without necessarily going out to borrow from elsewhere because we have the raw materials and we have the human resource, well-trained, that only needs to tweak a little bit of the knowledge that we have so that we can begin to make uh, things for ourselves. It is very possible. We are not, we, we, we have the kind, we are not subservient to any race. We are not inferior. We have the ability and we only need to tap into the resources and the skills and the experiences that we have gained to begin to implement what we have learned in collaboration with our governments, supporting us with the kind of um, to funding which is needed in order to push these uh, technological advancements that we now need. We must also be, um, we mustn't be averse of the fact that as we do so, we have the first world, the developed countries, which are also developing. And we in Africa will be catching a catch-up, will be making a catch-up game. So we must move with speed in making sure that all these things that we want, we do so with uh, the speed that is necessary, which does not compromise on quality so that people do not, at the end of the day, laugh at us and say, there you see, they have tried to come up with their own light, but it is of lesser quality. We need to continue to do all the due diligence that is necessary in order to produce quality uh, products on the African continent using the skills, expertise, and experiences that we have gained over the years. Thank you very much for that, uh, uh, Mr. Kennedy. You see, what I want to, uh, to say here before I ask you the next question is that uh, I don't think that the technology that is available, whether in Europe or in US, absolutely 
absolutely and totally belong to the European or the American people. They have only built on the technology that have been available before, which means that if Africa were to try to do something of their own, they don't have to beg any other people. And they don't, it's not like we need to beg the European, please let us tap into your, into your knowledge. This knowledge is universal. It belongs to all of us. By the time they want to tap into Egyptian civilization, they didn't beg anybody. So for us, we don't need to like, it doesn't mean that when we say we use Nigeria also always as an example, because look at that, the potential that is available in that country, there is really no justification why the Nigerian people should be going in darkness every day. There is no justification for it. And if the Nigerian engineer were to say, okay, today we want to build, we want to uh, develop light, there are, there are already technology available on how to tap solar system. There are technology available how to tap into wind system. Go to Germany, for example. There are technology available how to tap into water. All this technology don't need to be reinvented. We just need to uh, gather some code. Then put it together, of course, by the expert, not me. That is not my area. That is not my expertise. But if that is your expertise, you must do it. That is why you are an expert in that area. So what I really want to say is that the possibility of able to build a car it's not, a mag it's not a magical word. There is no magic about it. Inside the car, there are many elements that are coming, not from the particular country. For example, some parts are just coming from China, others are coming from Germany, some other parts are coming from US, some other parts are coming from... At the end of the day, you put it together, of course, you build a model, that is your car. Now, it doesn't mean that, okay, one country just have everything. There is no country in the world that have everything. There is no continent in the world that have everything. So it is not a shame that Africa can also take from other and use it to build, to solve their own problems. Now, coming back to education, because we are going to have to resolve this problem through education, because if, if we haven't educated people that they can actually take this bold step and build it their own way, design it the way you want it, it doesn't mean that you must follow the European model or the American model. Who says so? You can design it the way you want it in Ghana, the way you want it in, in South Africa, the way you want it in Nigeria, this is how you want your car to be. Do it, design it, fail and fail again if it need be. But you are making an effort to change. Now, to be able to pull that in, we need to change the paradigm, like you said. But how simple is it? Because this is the, this is your area, you know it very well. I mean, the educational area. How simple is it to change the the curriculum? Because we know we know that the curriculum we have today. It's not serving the people because it's not providing a solution at the end of the day. But how simple is it to change those curriculum in a way that it can serve the people? Those who go to school can find solution to their local problems. Um, it is not difficult, I think, because for me, um, in order for us to develop a new curriculum, that serves the interest of the people. It requires the will of the government to do that. It requires the government to fund, invest in education. And that is critical. Uh, our governments showing the will to make sure that we change the curriculum so that it becomes what it should be to serve the interests of the people on the African continent. In order for us to have an education system that serves the interests of the people of South Africa 
and posterity, we must have the South African government making a deliberate move to make sure that that which does not address the issues of the African people, of the African child in South Africa, they are removed from the syllabus. The other thing that we also need to do in order for us to make sure that the education system address the concerns that we find in our countries. Our education system through its curriculum should support creativity and innovation among learners. For as long as we want children to learn the Pythagoras theorem, the way it was uh, put in place by Pythagoras, who lived in 40, uh, 495 DC, BC, well, that for us to continue to tell our children that Pythagoras did this and so on, without putting it into real practice, asking our children to explore why Pythagoras came up with this Pythagoras theorem. What did he do? Interrogate it. And then after interrogate it, then we begin to look at how best can we use the Pythagoras theorem in solving our own real world problems. Our education system at the moment does not support innovation, does not support creativity among learners because we have a syllabus to complete within a set period of time. And if you do not complete it within that set period of time, then when examinations come, you might find out that there is a section of the syllabus that is covered in the test and the children will then fail. So we need to look at how best we can integrate the theory aspect of the, of the syllabus with the practical aspects that we need to teach our children so that they get skills. And also ensure that creativity and innovat innovativeness is encouraged throughout the lesson or throughout the teaching or throughout the time that the children are at school, particularly in high school. It should not only be left for those that are now in high school or in, tech, uh, in universities and in technical colleges to begin to um, research, to begin to um, identify problems and so on, and then uh, come up with projects that address issues. We need to start it at a very tender age by making sure that our, our curriculum supports project-based learning, problem-based learning and project-based learning. And it must be fused within the curriculum so that when we, if we ever we have children that are good in the use of their hands, if we have children that are good in the use of, um, in, in theory, they are promoted in those particular areas. So there is need for us to do that. I think 
this is in uh, to change the syllabus to make to have what we want on the continent of Africa. It requires our governments to make it a deliberate move and support those moves in changing the syllabus, the curriculum, so that it uh, addresses what industry requires or our economies need in order to move. All right, uh, thank you for that. And right, of course, you are you are a politician. You are part of the government, so we are going to, we are going to be throwing some of the questions to you. But anyway, uh, not not for this, not not not, not just now yet. Uh, because I want to believe, I really want to believe, you know, why I, why I believe so much that African government are not free is that they don't take the decision that can help the people. They deliberately take decisions that hurt the people. Now, for example, say there is a war between Nigeria and Ghana, and this war lasts for like 10 years. Do you mean to tell me that the Nigerian government will not influence the Nigerian population through the kind of education they give to the people because they want to enlist more people into the army. Now, what I'm saying is that we are not really responding to the situation that we have. You know, the real situation. Okay, this might be wrong, but I just want to put it like this. You see, I, I believe that they just create problems and they try to solve the problem that they create. But they leave the real problem that have been there. At the end of the day, they do not solve the real problem. Okay, you see, uh, the question of Boko Haram. Before Boko Haram, we had the issue of... Um, anyway, I don't want to be over... It's not as if I'm, I'm over-criticizing the Nigerian government, no? But what I really want to say is that the, the politician... I'm sorry you are a politician, I know that, but I just have to tell you the truth. The politicians that we have in Africa are not serving us. Because if they are serving us, like what we are talking about now in education, they should they should be able to know what their country, the people they are serving, know need. Sorry, but if you don't know what they need, you need to provide the solution through your education. Because we have we need to change the mentality that we have there. Because if you calculate at the end of the year how many youth are unemployed. You don't need to pray to God for answer. You don't need to tell America, please come and help me. My children are unemployed. We need to ask ourselves, within the territory of this country, you are in Ghana, you are in Sierra Leone, you are in Ivory Coast, what do we have? How can we tap into these resources so that the people I have under me can have something to do? Uh, because this is how... The leadership that we have had in Africa before the European Union, this is how they be running the system. This is how they have built it, that they built empire because they rely on the resources that were available within them. So that they provided food, they provided infrastructure, they provided, that is how they did it. Why are our government not doing this? Are they afraid to do it? On the, con on the contrary, I think, um... Yes, there are certain cases in which our governments have not served us to the best of our of our interests. But I don't think we need to lay all the blame on the leadership that we have on the African continent. The leadership that was then before the coming on of the African of the African leadership that we have served the interests of the minority. And now we have the African leaders they are serving the interest of the majority. Whereas, let us look in the case of electricity. 
Electricity was provided for the few that were in towns. And yet the majority of our people lived a rural kind of life. And now when our governments come in, they are supposed to cater for everyone, regardless of their geographical location in each particular country. In order to achieve that, it requires a lot of resources. It requires time. And this is why we have found out that when the African leaders preach or speak to the people, they talk about issues of electricity, addressing all sorts of problems that, that they have. And they do so on the pretext and on the basis that they would want to do it for everyone. And to do so for everyone, it takes a lot of resources. And this is where we have found out that many of our politicians have faltered because our resources are not enough to match the kind of demand that we have. I'll give you the South African context where I am at the moment. So, so, sorry, sir. Sorry, so, sorry, sir. I just wanted to say something that then you can continue. But I, I want to... I want to take it from you that the resources are not available. But what about the billions of dollars that are being looted from, from the public treasury? A good example would be Sani Abacha in Nigeria. When he died, trillions of... Well, that is, these guys have been eating us. They say they don't have money. They have a lot of money to go and hide in Swiss Bank, in, in, in Germany, and in the United States. Where are they getting those money? I will tell you, because, you know, I live in Italy, you know, there is a... a um, a subway system that was built in a city next to me. It's a very small city. It's called Brescia. I was asking, but you see, this one can be built in a, in my Inuromi. I'm talking of a, just a small town. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that the resources that are valuable in Africa are enough to build super highway so that people can enjoy life. It's not because they don't have resources. Sorry, I put it like that. Please continue. Well, resources are available in abundance and they need to be exploited. I, I would not, I, I do not support corruption. I do not support leadership that also uh, plunders the, 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 the resources of the, of the countries. But that can be a topic for another day. But the critical thing is, do our governments have the, the financial muscle to make sure that they put in all the resources that are required, put in all the infrastructure that is required in order to light the whole of, uh, uh, of Nigeria, for instance, in a small, small space of time. Even if we look at what our estual uh, colonizers did, they did it over a period of time. When we look, I was about to give the context of South Africa. The electricity that is generated in South Africa at the moment was meant for a few people. But when the South African government came in power, they made sure that access to electricity is expanded. There are now many people that are now getting electricity. And what is now the challenge? We, now beginning, we, we are now beginning to have load shedding. On, and on, uh, and we are, other than load shedding, we are also beginning to have pressure mounting on the infrastructure that is supposed to power South Africa because the demand is now high. But at the same time, does it mean that the South African government has not done anything over the years? It has already built power stations, but it does not match with the demand that is on the ground. 
We need to continue to implore our African leaders to continue to work hard so that they meet the target of ensuring that the resources and facilities that we have promised to our people reach to the people. But this will take time. And also, on the other hand, we must continue to urge African leaders, leaders to make sure that they do not take that which is not theirs and devote to the, uh, 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 and plow it to the exploitation of the resources that are on the African continent, which are in abundance. So in as far as education is concerned, our African countries, the leadership in the African, uh, on the African continent, besides revolutionizing, making a deliberate move to change the syllabus or transforming the curriculum to meet the challenges of which we have, they must also invest substantial amount or a substantial percentage of their GDP to the education sector so that there is enough infrastructure which is commensurate with the expectations and the demands of the education system, the final graduates that they want to produce. They must invest enough in technology, that is technology capacity building, so that our technology is tailored to have the Africa that we want. They must also invest enough in human resource development. We must change the teacher and the teaching that was there pre-independence, which is important because if we continue to have the teacher that was there pre-independence, the same teaching will continue to happen and will continue to have the same graduate out of the schools and universities. So there must also be a deliberate a move to invest in human resource development, particularly on the part of the teacher and the lecturers in universities, so that they can begin to teach content which addresses the needs of the people that are on the African continent. This is possible if our governments are continuously reminded by we, the people, to make sure that we have the kind of um, curricula that addresses our interests and needs. Absolutely. I think it is possible. Yeah, yeah. It is possible if they, if they, take, if they take the right action. Uh, yeah, uh, unfortunately, sorry that sometimes here we are very hot of, of the government because, of course, who do, we, who do we have to complain to? I come to think of it, by the time we start seeing all those billions of dollars that they are taking overseas to hide, and sometimes those money don't, never even come back. You know, that is the worst, worst of all. Because you die, those money re remain here in Europe, and, and we are complaining of poverty, whether this, these guys are just sucking us dry. Anyway, now, the, the next thing is, is a kind of a mentality change, you know, because at the end of the day, of course, it's not only the, the leaders that are, that are corrupt, the ordinary people too, they are equally corrupt, because if the people are not corrupt, it will be difficult for the leaders to be corrupt. So it's not like we are just singling them out. It's a problem of the society. We have a societal problem. Uh, but of course, somebody is in charge. That is why you are elected to be at the head. Otherwise, you should be at the bottom. Now, how do we affect this mentality change? Because, um, like Peter Drucker will say, this is an age of knowledge. The knowledge economy, they will say it, no? Which means that 
A lot of things are done even differently now. A lot of information are transferred via internet these days. Which means sort of we will have a lot of opportunity if we really want to uh, really educate ourselves well. A lot of libraries, data are stored online. Uh, economy running basically online. This is a can, this is a different kind of world. So how do we make sure that this is this is reflected in the educational system? In the sense that we don't just give information that are too archaic to the people, and when they finish school, they realize that they're in a different kind of world. So how do we update the system to be um, to reflect the real life that we are living today? Like I've already indicated, um, I think now um, it, it might sound like an old record. The curriculum needs to be changed. That is the first thing that we must do. Change our curriculum. And when we change our curriculum, we must also invest in the resources that are required to make sure that the curriculum is functional. The curriculum attends to the needs of the economy that we want to build. Like you have rightly said, we have now the internet age. Technology is fast changing almost every day. This should also be reflected in schools uh, using the old uh, methods that we're using. We must begin to embrace the use of technology in whatever we do and whatever we teach. We must encourage our schools to have computers, to have the requisite technology that will empower our children so that when they leave school, they are not foreign to the economy in which they are going to work. So that, that is important. We also must make sure that our governments invest in ensuring that our children, all of them, they have an opportunity to be in school. And when they get into school, we must empower them with the skills skills which will make sure that after leaving school whether they get employed or not they are in a position to create their own employment they are in a position to go and start something on their own and be creators of employment we must also make sure that our education system touches at the fundamentals that are in our economies. If our, if our economy is agriculture best, then we must make sure that most of our, our teaching should make sure that when children leave school, they are equipped to be part of the value chain 
we needed to go into agribusiness, not only into the land, but we needed to have the capacity to, when we grow, whatever we grow, when we reap it, we take it for processing. Beneficiation should become key so that eventually we can start to export what we are producing on the African continent so that we can have the much needed foreign currency, which is needed to capacitate and retool the industries that we have. All this starts from the right education that we give our children, that attends to the needs and the circumstances and the experiences that we have in our countries, in our communities, and on the African continent as a whole. Collaboration is needed because we cannot do it on our own. We need to continue to work with other countries because we are interdependent. We rely on one another. Hence, co collaboration remains key in as far as education is concerned and also what we are doing in our economies. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Kennedy. Now, I'm trying to see, uh, you see, like you said, we are interdependent in very many, very many things. Our life, of course, uh, is uh, is based on that. You know, no one has it all. Now, looking at Africa, it's true that we are using the term Africa because that is we are okay generalizing on. Are there some systems, some school systems in Africa that are working that we can say, okay, let's use this as a model, or are, just, are they all just the same? Because I don't know. Is there some good example that we can pick somewhere, maybe somewhere in South Africa, I don't know, maybe Rwanda or in Sierra Leone, I don't know, in, in Guinea. Is, is there a school system that have produced a result that other people should copy from or we can sort of adapt, uh, learn from that you know of? <laughs> um, not offhand, uh, but um, I must say that many a times we, we have had measures, um, uh, researches that have been done. And we have had countries that are ranked according to their literacy rate. And uh, we have also had countries that are rated according to, um, to the numerous rate in, in different countries. We have um, um, researches that are conducted on teams. And these do not necessarily give the kind of indicators that we are talking about today. They also give, they only give us indicators on the percentage of the people who are capable of reading or people that are numerical, that are literacy in counting or have gone to a certain level of mathematics. And this is not what we want on the African continent. This is not the kind of education that we are talking about, where we are judged on the basis of the number of people that can read or the number of people that have gone to school. We need to get to a point where our education is given a, a, a rating on the basis of the skills that are being given to the children. And we have very few of these on our African continent who are giving such skills. Yes, we have uh, uh, skills that are being taught in, in, in throughout, I think, the continent, but this is not enough. We need to do more uh, in order that uh, to capacitate our own people to be masters of their own destiny on the African continent.
All right, that is absolutely important. Uh, now, now that would sort of prompt me to ask another question. I remember one time I was um, uh, arguing with uh, uh, with a guest here that uh, sometimes most of our researchers don't dig deeper into our own history because uh, I remember the last time we were talking of us creating the content that we use to educate ourselves because we don't expect other people to do that for us. Now, from educational point of view, uh, how much do we know? Now, somebody come to, because when we say a problem, finding a solution to the problem, if we identify a problem, if that person doesn't look at, doesn't know him or herself very well, doesn't know the land very well, the resources around very well, it's going to be difficult to provide solution that will work. So do our educational system really help us to know this very well, know where you are, the resources in the land. Okay, by this I mean, if you were to look at pre-colonial education, by the time somebody graduates in the traditional educational system, you know the herbs in the forest, you know you know your way around, you, know, you are not missing. In Africa, you cannot be missing. The education is done in a way that you know where you are, you know what to do. You are a part and parcel of the society you cannot be an alien in your society. Do the kind of education we have today, where we read and write and reflect and recite uh, books, does it help us to know this deep value around us? And if it doesn't, um, what, what can we do to make sure that they are there? Because if they are not there, I, we cannot find solution to the problem. Because the problem, the problem that we have is part of the solution and the problem, actually. Um, you know, one of the things that I learned very many years ago, I learned something about Humpty Dumpty sitting on the wall, blah, blah, and so on. I think all those that went to the, the to the, during my time would have learned about that. Then we, we also had an opportunity to, to learn about the Romeo and Juliet, uh, their, their, their love affair and, and so on. Uh, we learned about Macbeth, and um, we were meant to understand everything about the Macbeth, Romeo and Juliet, and you, you know the literature that we are going through. At that time, we learned the history of the Trinidad and Tobago, uh, the British Wars, and many other things. And we were supposed to know about um, the 1880, is it 1888 Emancipation Act or the slavery things? And all these things, when we sit and look back and say, what value was added in me through the study of all these things that we did? There were other poems that we recited, which had very little to do with what I was to do, and have nothing to do with my Africa. And here we are today. We still have Macbeth, Romeo and Juliet, this is, they call it the Shakespearean literature, being taught on the African continent. The question that we need to ask is why? And what value addition does it have on the African child to face the challenges on the African continent? 
And with this in mind, it comes back to what I've already said, alluded to. We need to move with agents in addressing curricular issues. And in addressing curricular issues, we then have a curriculum that attends or which is informed by what we want to address on the African continent, which is what is fundamental. We in the education system and the politicians in the government should speedily work hand in glove to make sure that we address the issue of the curriculum so that it becomes relevant to the context, to the African context. If we talk about Nigeria, there are so many books that have been written by people in Nigeria, some of which are used on the African context in literature. We have many books that have been written across the African continent, which we can use drawing from our context and what we have done, why things happen in a certain way and why we need to borrow from some of the things that were happening prior to our independence or even prior to, uh, to, to colonization. So these are some of the things that we need to look at in order for us to be able to address some of the concerns that you are raising today. Because if we do not move with speed and, uh, or agents to address curriculum issues, we will remain talking about our failure to address our own challenges because the current curriculum in most African countries does not address the concerns of the people on the African continent, does not even empower them with the requisite skills and the knowledge which is needed in order for us to be actively active participants in the development process of our economies and our uh, and countries in general. Thank you very much for that, sir. And another thing I really find very interesting that I would like to ask uh, you now, uh, always in relation to education and African history, uh, is the harvesting of of data that 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 which we used to do through oral narration. Now everything is read from books, but the point is that there are a lot of rich information that the people always only have in the head. They have not been translated into books yet. So how do we get those materials now so that it can be available? Because we have come to understand that the documentation is very very important because it helps you to understand how other before you have lived. If you understand how they lived and you face similar situation, you know how to avoid those obstacles. Actually, I'm talking of, you know, there was a time it was very important that you sit around the fire, no? Then you hear some stories. Those stories, of course, they're not going to tell you that you're going to face a similar thing, but there are a lot of morals in there. I'm looking at that situation. Is it possible that it can be complementary to the former education that we have, or is it worthless? Because I want to believe that there are a lot of value that we can get there because it helps you to 
to have the perfume of your culture. You you are very right and up to the point. The those um, meetings that we we used to have outside on the fireplace as men or women on their own, and at times as a village, they are very important. It was then when we used to say, the child belongs to the village. And gone are those days when we used to say that the child belongs to the village. And it is now our responsibility as Africans or as a people, to begin to make a rethink of the importance of our children being children of the village. Because at that time, there was so much rich that we could get from the people in the village when we worked together to help grow a child, and this is no more. We must also implore countries and universities that today harbor literature and history that is of African origin. You will be surprised that there are universities libraries, and even museums that are out of Africa, that have African artifacts and information that is not on the African continent. That information should, in working with those governments, universities, and museums, we should have our history brought back to our country, to our uh, continent. Even in Zimbabwe, we are still crying for some of the things that were taken, very important things that were taken, which we think, which we know is very important for our history, for our children to know. Therefore, we need to make it imperative for those in power to work with those that have our history so that it can be repatriated. We must also encourage our own people to write our own history, to undertake research, particularly those that are in universities, in the history departments, or anyone to go out and research so that we can begin to write our own history and understand the way that, to understand where we are coming from, where we are, so that we can be informed of where we are going. It is critical that we do this as a people on the African continent, because there is no one who will do it for us. It is our responsibility as Africans to make sure that we write our own history. History that we should hand over to our own children. Because if we do not do so, 
the next generation will have missed out because there will be a big gap in knowledge due to the absence of books which we have written our own history. So we must make that a, a, a priority and we must make sure that uh, we also prioritize using these books. One of the things that we have seen is there are many people who write the books, but there are not many people who are prepared to buy those books on the African continent. And we must also encourage our own people to value, to value what is written by only African brothers and sisters so that they can continue to research and give us more knowledge of what we do not. And more another thing that is important is we as African people, we must be proud of ourselves, proud of our history. We must have an attitudinal change such that we begin to take pride in who we are and value everything that we call African. Thank you very much for that. You see, somebody might be asking, but why talking about art and craft uh, uh, that have passed in, in the old time when we're talking of education? Well, that is actually what we are talking about. That is, that is the education. Because if you think that is not education, why do you think the United States spent billions and billions of dollars in the crafting? Actually, it's called make-believe. The cinema that you see is called make-believe because they create something for you which remains with you forever. Now, uh, there are, this, these are deep things that we might not have time to go in detail today when you were making mention of... Um, uh, the stealing of the, the Great Zimbabwe artifacts, things that have, been, that have been taken away by the English. They did the say also in Benin, and the Benin people, uh, we are still crying today that they should return it. Uh, all this art and craft of Africa, you don't need to look at them as if they don't mean anything. They mean a lot. They mean a lot to you. Of course, it doesn't mean that you are going to return to that time, but it helps you to make the connection. So that they should even know there are a lot of story in them. Because if there were no a lot of if there were no story in them, those people that took them will not take them. If it's making a lot of money to the European Museum, the British Museum, another European Museum, an American Museum, it's because there are something in there. But I'm not talking of the supernatural thing. You know, knowledge is is deep. For you to be able to know where you are coming from, you need to hear the voices of your ancestors, of your fathers. The only way they can talk to you is through, is through those crafts. That is where they tell you how they managed to pass through a river. Now, we are trying to recreate our future. How can we do this without knowing where we are coming from? So it is very important that we look at these relics that were left behind for us so that it helped us to create our digital age it's going to be very important for us to understand our digital age because like i was saying before those that create the digital age they didn't start it here the element the information that they use were already available before egyptian pyramid were built is a question of building upon it 
building upon it, building upon it in different fashion. That is why we are where we are today. So you cannot tell me that those relics that the British and the other Europeans took away from Africa, they do not mean anything. They mean a lot. That is why they took them away. Now, coming back to um, investment in education, what do you think, sir, that African government should be doing in this area? Because some people say that this is a miraculous opportunity for Africa, looking into the fact that we are the youngest people in the world at this moment. And we are very attached to internet. And internet is one of the most important inventions in human history. What kind of investment do you think African government should be making right now in education, in our problem solution, in our solution-based uh, learning or problem-based learning, so that at the end of the day, we should be able to find solutions to our problems? Um, it's key that our governments uh, invest in infrastructure. We should have because our youth are the future. The kind of education, the environment in which they learn is important. Therefore, we must have schools that cater for our children. Schools in which we have the textbooks, we have the computers, we have um, the the teacher-pupil ratio should be very minimal, which means we need to build more schools, schools in which uh, we have all the facilities that are needed, including sanitation, which is also important. The resources that are going to be used, I've mentioned books, textbooks, I've mentioned the uh, computers. We must also make sure because we are in the internet age, we must also make sure that schools do have free Wi-Fi or the bandwidth is good enough to make sure that our children can use internet facilities while they are at school and also while they are at home. We must also urge our governments to invest in the human resource, the teachers, Teachers that will be able to teach our children the right content and skills that are needed. We must also equip the truth our governments, equip our teachers so that they become respectable, they are valued. Because one of the things that we have seen over the years in most of our African countries is where the teaching profession has been belittled. And once that happens, you are also working against the quality of teaching that takes place. So to maintain the quality and standard of teaching that takes place in classes, we must make sure that our teachers are capacitated and they are valued, they still have that professional um, repute that they used to have. Teachers were revered at some point, but in many countries, they've become laughing stocks, and that needed to be addressed 
so that our we give credibility and integrity to our uh, our education system and we must also make sure that access that is our governments they must make sure that access to school is not restricted and we must the governments must make sure that there is free education which is mandatory to every child on the african continent funds permitting we must make sure that education is free up to first degree when one gets his or her first degree the other important thing that we must also uh, urge our government to invest in is investing in the access in as far as the transport is concerned because many a times we have seen that our children fail to get to some schools either because the schools are far away or there is no transport so it's either government provides the transport or they build more schools so that if there is there is easy access one of the most important things that governments should also make sure that they are uh, institute is that of making sure that education is not commodified we have seen cases where we have schools for those who have and schools for those who do not have and the schools for those who have are well equipped they are well resourced and even the quality of the teaching that takes place there is different from schools where most of our children go to governments should make sure that we have an equal education system where we do not have schools for the haves and schools for the have not our education system should be accessible by all regardless of who and where one is coming from that's what government should seek to invest in so that that disparity is addressed also as a matter of agency Thank you very much, sir. I really appreciate the time that uh, we spent here trying to respond to all my, my questions, uh, and I hope uh, it has not been a bit confusing because we, we actually uh, tap into some other area, but all of them are really very important. Uh, of course, time will not permit us to really go in detail, but each of them are really very important in this, in this argument. Uh, now, we are coming to the conclusion of the, the last question, actually. It's not a question, it's a kind of a conclusion on your part, uh, which is, uh, uh, what, would be, what would be your recommendation or a kind of a strategy to be able to succeed in creating a solution or a problem-based learning? Because that is actually what we are talking about today, and that is what we uh, consider to be uh, important in Africa today, is that we identify that this is our problem that needs solution. So we build our education around it. In that, at the end of the day, those we those who pass through our educational system should be able to provide solution in their society. What what would be your recommendation? The strategies to follow to be able to go about this. This is the last. Uh, this is the concluding part of it. Thank you so much. 
Let me conclude by saying that um, we, in the education system, we have important indicators in evaluating the learning process. And these important indicators are, one, the level of learners' active participation in the class. And the final or the average final grade, those are the two indicators that we normally look at and say, has a child achieved that which we wanted him or her to achieve? Besides that, we, when we look at problem-based learning, one of the things that we need to look to understand is that learning is a personal interpretation of the world in that the learner's beliefs and values are used in interpreting objects and events. That becomes critical for us to make sure that problem-based learning and solution-based learning are introduced in the learning system in order to meet the demands of our economies. Hence, I recommend that African governments should take education serious by investing in infrastructure and human resource, which is valued and respected. The infrastructure and the resources will then capacitate the facilitators in using problem-based learning. The next thing that I also recommend is the development of relevant curriculum that is informed by the needs and demands of our economies. This curriculum should take science and mathematics as well as technology as subjects that are important that should seek to give children skills that are useful in building our countries. Lastly, I also recommend that African universities should take the lead in transforming our education systems by creating centers of skills development, which are informed by our circumstances, challenges, and experiences on the continent. While there is need to collaborate with other economies, there is need by our African universities and governments to come up with the deliberate policies that push an African agenda. Because in everything that we seek to do, it should be informed by our African agenda. What do we seek to achieve as an African, as, as a continent? If we know what we seek to achieve, then we need to quickly look at ensuring that our education system addresses all these concerns and capacitate our youth for posterity. Thank you.
Thank you very much, sir. Thank you so much for that. Uh, it is, uh, in fact, people should pay attention to the last part, uh, most importantly, because it's very important. And for you, all of you that have uh, followed to the end of this podcast, I say thank you very much because if you are not there, then it will not make much sense that, that we are here. We take the time to be able to explain all this part to you because it is important that we share the knowledge. It is very, very important uh, because it is time um, in Africa, looking at all the problems that are facing us, our educational system should be part of the solution in that we should look at it as a way of providing solution to the problem. So if we follow the problem-based learning or the uh, solution-based learning, it means that we are identifying our problem and our education, everything that we are doing should be based on resolving that problem. So that we shouldn't have graduate roaming around the street without job. Have you wasted all the time that you spend in the school? So it is not your fault. It is the system. So that is the, what we are talking about here, that that system should be designed for the service of the people. And of course, it's not only the job of the government, it's the job of everybody. I think uh, our guests have already said that uh, before, and she also, re also repeated here, that all of us have a role to play in this job. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our future episodes. Rate and review Overhead Podcast and share with your friends who might need it. I remain Overhead A14. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you in the next episode.